welcome to Arrows on Air, presented by Tomorrow's Air. I'm Christina Beckman, and this is a show where we meet artists, travelers, and scientists from all over the world to talk about art, travel, and climate action. Today, I'm chatting with Johnny Bierman, a Canadian travel journalist, and he's also the founder of Eco Escape Travel. This is a platform for travelers to find excellent, sustainable travel experiences. Johnny and I cover a little bit about what today's buzzword regenerative travel is all about, and he also shares some insights and inspiration from his incredible travel experiences with indigenous communities. We touch on trends in LGTBQ travel and also some of the things Johnny has been working on with destinations to attract this market. You might take some inspiration from Johnny if you've ever thought about leaving your job to become a travel writer. He spoke to me from Costa Rica, and it's fun to hear the tropical birds now and then in the background. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. Greetings, friends. I'm here today with Johnny Bierman, and he is speaking to us today from where, Johnny? I am currently working remotely from Costa Rica. You are in Costa Rica. What part of Costa Rica? Uh, I'm in the southwest uh, near a place called Dominical and Uvita. It's uh, in the Punta Arenas province. Amazing. Amazing. So, Johnny, you and I met through... How did we... We met, I think, on one of the Tomorrow's Air... Airbnb online experiences, and you—do uh, I have that right, or did we know each other before? Uh, no, yeah, you, you kind of had that right. Um, we met through the ATTA's virtual adventure elevate in September. That's right, Adventure yeah. Travel Trade Association connections. Well, tell us a little about. So you're Canadian, I think. Also, yep. is that right? Correct. Yep. So give us the little background on on what you've been up to the past few years. I mean, you're a, a self-employed um, consultant, but you sure do get around. <laughs> yeah. Um, so starting actually pretty much three years ago, almost to the date, I went freelance from my job, which was previously working in media marketing for Banff and Lake Louise Tourism. Uh, and I started uh, my career in traveling, or sorry, in uh, well, started in traveling, but also uh we're um, studying destination marketing at Vancouver Island University and um, tourism marketing. So from there, I went into the destination marketing world and uh, and then eventually started my own business where I work as a freelance sustainable travel journalist, as well as I have a destination marketing arm of Eco Escape Travel that works with um, different destinations. I work with I've worked with uh, different travel apps uh, and I do um, some volunteer uh, digital conservation work as well. Amazing. So what was that leap? I want to, I love, um, you know, the entrepreneurial leaps that people make. What was that like leaving Banff and Lake Louise and a reliable gig? What, what pushed you to strike out on your own in a marketing, in a marketing way? Uh, I needed to give myself the, the creative freedom uh, to be able to push the values that I stood by and stand by still uh, in an online platform and in a voice uh, that, um, for one, would not be a conflict of interest while being uh, fully employed by an, an organization or, or a company, but also so that I could 
steer it in the direction that I knew the values and and ethics would align with. Um, and I've also been a very I've also been of the understanding that um, a, some a business venture like this and many others are best taken on by the person with the vision and not so much in business partnerships. Um, and so even though I did not have a lot of money to start this and probably a lot of student loans still at that time, uh, I was like, this has got to happen because if it doesn't happen now, then it's going to be one of those things that you wish you did when you were that age, which would have been 27, I would have been. Um, I very much relate to that. It's like, I'm going to regret not having done this, even though even though I'm nervous to do it. I'll look back and regret that I didn't do it. So you went, so I want to, um, what, what was the vision that you had to put forward? Um, so I've, the vision was honestly, it was instilled in me from my, from my studies. I worked actually coincidentally, I was in Costa Rica for my first, uh, kind of internship co-op experience where we were developing sustainable agro-tourism in real Costa Rica to help farmers diversify and be able to generate more income. Uh, and so I learned of the values of community empowerment, cultural preservation, and environmental stewardship uh, firsthand. And those are values and ethics that I've always, that I wanted to bring into an online platform and through my storytelling. Mm-hmm. I got you now. And so this, I did um, take a note that eco-escape travel has these sort of four pillars that it's based on. Ecological connection, cross-cultural engagement, environmental stewardship, and community empowerment. It, it feels to me like we, we share an idealism about all the benefits that tourism can bring to a place. Exactly. Yeah. Um, those, those pillars are, are what I still stand by within my destination marketing work and my journalism integrity. Um, I will not accept an opportunity that does not align with my values and ethics. And I need, and I like to kind of, I like to say that my brand keeps me behaved because I, <laughs> I, I have, I've established that first and foremost before there was ever actually, you want to know something funny. I actually established those on an airplane next to a lady that I randomly met. Uh, oh, I met her on the airplane while we were flying to Cuba. <laughs> she worked with a sustainability organization in Calgary. And I was telling her about my idea. And I have those pillars drawn out on a Jugo Juice napkin uh, that is framed in my bedroom now. <laughs> That's perfect. I think um, serendipitous connections like that are so important. It's really interesting. Those, um, those kind of cues are all around if you're, you know, ready to hear it. So, um, so you're sitting on the plane with this woman and you're telling her, I want to create a digital platform to help people find sustainable travel. And she said, what did she say? Well, she worked with a community. Uh, I can't remember what it was now. It was some type of community program in Calgary that helps link uh, different cultures and and activities and it wasn't it was nothing to do with tourism but it had the the DNA and and the roots of community and culture and, and sustainability um, and environment was a part of it so uh, yeah so it 
I also, I knew where I wanted it to go. And, and those words weren't community empowerment and, and or like all the pillar, all the pillars exactly weren't word for word from the napkin, but mm-hmm. the framework was developed <laughs> with her. And it was, mm-hmm. I mean, like you, I probably, I can't even count how many flights I've taken uh, in my, in the last kind of 11 years. Uh, but that was the one time where I actually talked, like struck up a conversation that totally had an impact forever afterwards. Mm-hmm. Well, I hear the, um, the jungle birds in the background there. That <laughs> is pretty fun. Um, <laughs> I, so when, you know, you mentioned I've taken so many flights and I also mm-hmm. have taken so many flights and tell me what the realization was like for you when you started connecting the climate reality with you know, a sort of the other side of the tourism coin. Like travel can be so good for the environment. Funding for conservation, money for local communities so that they don't have to extract natural resources. And yet at the same time, we know the 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 carbon emissions associated with our flights are damaging, among other things. Um, what's your thinking these days on climate and how are you how are you thinking about that in relation to your work? So to the first part of your question, it was sobering. Um, I mean, there's, a, there's been a lot through the last 11 years since I left on my first trip as a 19-year-old fresh out of high school uh, that has been sobering and that I've figured out needs to change and trying to evolve my work to change that. Um, one thing that I think is kind of nice that comes from the COVID uh era whatever we call it (laughs) COVID crisis I guess um is that longer stays in fewer places is a trend that might stick so you're going to have less emissions being put out by people actually staying in communities and places longer um and really connecting with those places rather than hopping around and trying to tick off like 30 destination boxes in two weeks um from a personal ethics values point of view, um, I guess I started really coming to be aware of this about two years ago, three or three years ago. And so with my media storytelling, um, I would calculate the uh, carbon impact of my trips and then I would offset it by making a donation to a local conservation organization that was working in the destination I was in. Um, because yes, I, we all like, I mean, this is what tomorrow air, tomorrow's air is essentially about and, and, you know, trying to mitigate those impacts of carbon. Um, but we do, I've seen it so many times firsthand of how tourism can be used as a driver and a tool to stop extraction and to protect these places. So yes, it is a double-edged sword and, I don't know if there is ever a right answer. There's lots of opinions for sure. Um, but I've just seen it so many times firsthand of how, how, how this industry can, can save and protect and restore these places for future generations. So it's, yeah, the flight impact is, is, a, is a negative side to it, but I truly believe the benefits outweigh the negatives. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. The, I feel now um, 
there is always kind of a thirst for a black and white solution. You know, the, the very clean answer, do or don't this or that. And, um, tourism is, you know, there's a lot of nuance in here. And I like what you point out about kind of a transformation in travel and what we value in travel. And I think this quality over quantity, um, will become more dominant. You know, it's the experiences we have in these places, not the fact that we've been to 60 countries. I think that's a a great um, shift that I see happening. And there is also, uh, there are ways that we can clean up and permanently store the carbon emissions associated with our travel. And Tomorrow's Air is offering one way to do that. So Thank you for mentioning that. I was so excited when they, when we first made contact and when I first learned about your your guys' approach because I truly think a a tried and tested scientific approach to extracting carbon from the atmosphere and putting it back in the ground is what we need because uh, unfortunately it's not realistic that we're going to have carbon neutral flights in the next 30 years. Um, and carb, like we, and you guys, your tomorrow's their approach is so good because it's like, you guys are being real about it. You guys are saying, okay, well, yes, we, we need to do carbon offsets. We need to plant more trees. We need to protect these areas, but it's not going to be enough to, to reverse the impact or to meet the demand that we need to meet. So we also need to bring a scientific approach into extracting that carbon as well. And by colliding and collab, by colliding and by collaborating forces with all these other initiatives, collectively, we can make it happen. Mm-hmm. That's it. You said it. Um, <laughs> Johnny, you mentioned um, before we were chatting about one of your favorite clients, which happens to be a, a destination that I recently got to know a little bit about. Um, can, you, can you talk about some of your work um, in Canada with the Okanagan folks? Yeah, with actually with the Caribou Chilcotin Coast Tourism Association. Um, so I do uh, social media and content uh, management for the organization. Um, and I do a lot of uh, writing and do some of the websites uh, for one of the brands within, you know, putting in the content and, and uh, blogs. Um, I do stakeholder relations and I do uh, all the social media. My business does. I also have an assistant that works with me too. Um, Say more so- about... Say more about Caribou, Caribou Chilcotin Coast. Coast. This just sounds like some place I want to <laughs> go. It, where is it, and what is going on up there? Have you heard of the Great Bear Rainforest before? No. No. Oh my goodness. Okay, add it to I'm terrible. Away. I'm. No, I'm from Alaska. Fine. I mean, I should know some of these oh. things in Canada, and I, I do not. Well, if you're from Alaska, it's pretty much everything from the southern tip of Alaska in BC, that where BC meets Alaska down to Vancouver Island area, but on the mainland. Mm-hmm. So, it's so that what's whole, it like there? What um, are we seeing so when we go there? It's the so this is part of the Caribou Chilcotin Coast. Uh, this is one of many regions that we work with, um, and it is the largest coastal temperate rainforest in the world. It is hmm. the largest intact rainforest in the world, I believe, or largest intact coastal temperate rainforest. Uh, it is 
majority of the, majority of it is protected, which is a result of tourism and land planning coming in and working with indigenous communities, showing the value of having these places intact over extracted and using tourism as, uh, as a funding source and as a voice to protect these places. Um, so that is just, it's a phenomenal place. It's where it's the only place in the world where uh, an animal called the spirit bear lives and it's like a white black bear. No um, kidding. Yeah. It's, I have a whole, I have a whole write up on my website about it. Um, I, I got to go there last year and actually I went there this year again too. Um, and, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite places in the world. It's one of the most wild places ever. Um, and so through my work with this organization, with the Cambridge of Coat and Coast, I think one of the most valuable takeaways that I've been able to learn about uh, is the importance of our indigenous tourism uh, products and our indigenous communities and what they can do to what they are doing as stewards and educators within tourism. Um, because it's been absolutely transformational for me, even as someone who's gone from the jungles of Indonesia to the Amazon rainforest to, you know, the furthest places in the world, this, these indigenous communities working with them, um, in the Great Bear Rainforest and all over the, all over the region, um, has really been able to help me realize what what exactly has been there for 13,000 years and and just how generous these people are in wanting to educate and inspire and work with uh, people, visitors to the region when they, when the, when the time is appropriate, um, especially uh, as well as uh, when, um, when people are willing, wanting to listen. Um, I, I have never been on, one of these indigenous experiences and not come away with a completely transformational experience where I was just left speechless. Like it is. Give me, give us an example of, um, of an indigenous experience in this region. I feel like I've been, I have had indigenous experiences in other countries, Mm -hmm. but actually very few in North America. So break it down. Give us an example. Yeah, I mean, Canada Canada itself is positioned as one of the indigenous tourism leaders of the world. Um, and there, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of development over the last kind of five to 10 years within this. Um, but, uh, okay, let me think of one really good example. So uh, a couple of years ago, we were doing a photography shoot and uh, we were introduced through a drumming ceremony and we got... Uh, stage smudging ceremony and we we learned about uh the people who were there before them or before us and we learned all about um uh the just their culture and everything and it was really interesting it was it was was very interesting because i actually had a friend who had recently passed away she's my age and her name was sage and um they were doing a stage smudging ceremony and I told the elder, I was like, oh, I have to have a friend whose name Sage who recently passed away. And, and he was telling me how Sage is like the, the Sage is the, the, the grass burning Sage is to like rejuvenate and express and to put in a new light or basically to bless and give good omens. And um, she was a nurse. She was actually volunteering in Laos when she passed away. And uh, so he, everything he was telling me about the Sage plant 
uh, was completely reflective of my friend who passed away. And it was just like, it was, it was really interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, and then the couple, another one we did uh, last year, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, last year we actually went fishing with them and uh, we got to be able to, um, we went salmon fishing on the fishing rocks, which have been passed down through generations um, for like these fishing rocks that these people fish from in the Fraser River. Uh, they're in, they've been in the family for like 10,000 years. And so everyone has their traditional fishing rocks. And so we actually got to go salmon fishing. And the fishing rock is, the fishing rock is your rock that you stand on when you fish? Yeah, exactly. Into the Fraser River, mm -hmm. which is... Uh, a really important uh, body of water, a really important artery in British Columbia. I think it's the largest undammed river in North America. So it's really important for salmon migration. Um, and so we got to go fishing with them. And we, we also were, went through a drumming ceremony and we got to hang dry the, uh, the fish and, uh, and then we got to cook, uh, like uh, skin it with them and everything. And it was just really interesting to learn about the culinary practices that have been passed down from generation to generation um, in uh, these communities. And so we were we were literally like making the fish just like they had done 10,000 years ago. And in this particular area called Lillooet, it's the only area where they I can actually hang dry the fish. Say where, that, say where it is again? Li Lillooet. Lillooet. Yeah. And they actually, they hang the fish. I think it's the hottest place in Canada too. Um, so in the summer, it's like 40 degrees Celsius. So I think it's like 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and uh, they actually hang dry the fish and the wind. The, so, the, so it's something to do with the uh, mixture of the wind and the heat actually like cures the fish. So it's, and then so you can eat it <laughs> right after that. It's really interesting. So interesting. And so your work, you're there because you are helping to market this place, which gets you in all these cool experiences. Yeah, exactly. Um, marketing and, and doing kind of a lot of like working with the indigenous communities is helping them uh, doing, yeah, different marketing initiatives. And also the organization does a program called Destination Development. I don't work on that side too much, but they work with stakeholders all around the region to help them become more market ready and help establish more digital presence and everything. So it's, it's really, it's working in the collective good of tourism. Um, which is really fascinating. And the other, I do have to tell you one more if you want, if you'd like to hear one more. I want to, yeah, we want to hear. Okay. Um, so last year when I was in the Great Bear Rainforest, uh, right before we head out, our, we headed out on our boat, I got to meet uh, a really important person and his name is Cecil Paul and his indigenous name is Waheed. And he, uh, his story so there's a there's a book called stories from the magic canoe i think you can get it on amazon and and anywhere else uh maybe not anywhere else books are sold, but you can get it on amazon um and so this the, he has this book about him and he basically there's this area called the kitlope which is the largest intact this was the largest intact section of rainforest in left in the world and it was due to be logged and so this whole book is about his life um as a young boy who went to residential school uh, and the effects of residential school to his journey through alcoholism to then his journey to becoming uh, the chief of his community. And, and what is residential school? A residential schools are a very dark part, very dark part of the Canadian history where uh, in about, I think 
from the early 1900s all the way up to the early 70s, uh, students or kids were taken away from their indigenous communities and told their hair was cut and they were told they're not allowed to practice their traditions or languages. And it was essentially a uh, practice of the Canadian government at that time to try and tear away all indigenous aspects of their lives and assimilate them to Canadian culture. Uh, and it is, it is one of the darkest moments past parts of Canadian history. Devastating. Um, it happened in the United States also. I mean, there are places where yeah. it's, it's hard to it's hard to wrap your head around somebody coming and taking my six year old child and telling him to go to a different place. To I mean, uh, it is astonishing. Okay, it, it so is, yeah, it's it, I mean, a whole other podcast could be on residential schools alone. It's it, it's yeah, it's just unfathomable what happened. Um, and so. He actually was, so this this whole area, this Kitlope area is where he grew up um, and where his family is all from. And uh, before the fall, so I think it was, actually, I don't even know, maybe in the early 30s uh, or earlier, um, smallpox came through his community and, and wiped out most of the people in that area. And so there was less, like it was once a thriving community of like 8,000 people. And so he has a really close ties to this area and it was due to be logged. And so on our, on our trip, he, he blessed our boat. And so we got to meet him before we left, but he actually wasn't healthy enough to come with us. He, he's quite old now. Um, but our tour leader uh, and the owner of the company uh, is a good friend of his and has been given permission to tell some of his stories on the trip. And so we learned about this whole journey of protecting this place from over the seven days we were out there. And uh, and so his journey of protecting this place, like the magic canoe is essentially um, all these different people that he was able to bring into the canoe and help this mission to protect the place. Everyone from the founders of Patagonia to celebrities like all over the world joined in the cause to save this place. And they were successful in, in making it a protected area. And that just speaks volumes to not only what Wahid did, but to indigenous communities throughout our whole region and the province and the country of what the what the lengths they will go to to save and protect these places because they are the original stewards. And so one thing that's really awesome about working in, in BC especially is that we I get to work with these communities that connect stewardship with uh, everyday life and practices and basically through transformative travel experiences uh, have people walk away different than they came to as. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, I think, uh, you know, when you're, I just went to the website while you were speaking for this region, the Caribou, Chilcot and Coast. And, uh, you know, what, when you look at the pictures and think about going to a place at least me, I'm not necessarily thinking I want to have a transformative travel experience. I'm looking at the mountains and the guy with the backpack and thinking, yeah, I want to get lost in that place that looks gorgeous. But then what comes along with it is this interaction with indigenous people who, you know, it does end up being sort of mind expanding, even if that's not your first mission. Exactly. And honestly, it wasn't 
what I expected either um, starting to work in BC in the region too, but it was, it's one of the, it's, it's one of my most favorite parts of working in BC and with that region is, is working with these incredible, incredible people. The other fascinating, the other thing about this region um, is that, and they've heard me say it a hundred times before, because I'm always like trying to get my friends in Vancouver to go outside of Whistler and everywhere. Um, but like the other thing, the other part about this region is it's a little bit off the beaten path, but it's actually not that far from Vancouver. So people are always flocking to the, you know, the places they know best. So they're going to Vancouver Island or going to Whistler, but you get off the beaten path and drive five hours north and you're in this like massive expansive just incredible geological wonders and wildlife and and no people so like it, it's like the best place to go in a covid time because there's like no there's no, there's no one not that there's no one up there but you have you have all these big hiking trails all to yourselves you've got camping areas all to yourselves and there's just endless geography to explore um and that's what i love i love marketing these places that have capacity uh for tourism but also working with these places to build the right capacity as well. Uh, so, Johnny, there's a term, there are a lot of terms that fly around in our category, sustainable travel, transformational travel. The latest one is regenerative travel. And I wonder what your perspective is on that. I think from a consumer mindset, it might just start to feel like marketing mumbo, but but maybe it's not. What what do you think about regenerative travel? Um, yeah, I mean, it, there has been a lot of terms thrown around. I mean, when I first started doing this, it was called ecotourism. And so that's where eco-escape travel came from. Uh, and so then we called it sustainable travel, and we still do. And then we've got this term called regenerative travel, which I am all about. Because um, basically, regenerative travel and regenerative economy, regenerative farming... Um, you're putting more into it than you're taking out and it, re- and it becomes more of a circular economy where you, where it's regenerating more and becoming better than what it was before by having more people work with it and more people do it and more people touch that place. Um, so regenerative travel uh, for in terms of where we need to go next in COVID especially, I think is, is, is they're hitting the, we're hitting the nail on the head there. Um, I'm going to like I was I'm going to talk about uh, indigenous tourism in a minute but indigenous tourism is regenerative travel and always has been um totally because people are being stewards they're putting more back into the land than we're taking out of it and it's be, it's making a place be a better it's becoming a better place through the more people that work with it um in terms of tourism itself uh one of my favorite examples is Masul Resort in Indonesia um and I can uh, send you a link to a GoPro project that I did there last year I worked with GoPro uh to create a video storytelling about the sustainable uh resort in Indonesia that basically is regenerative travel in a nutshell because for everyone that stays there a portion of the funds is going to the marine conservation reserve uh, and then all of the rangers who protect the, the MPA, the Marine Protected Area, uh, are funded through tourism. And so through the more tourism that comes to the area, the more money that is being able to be pumped into conservation of the area. And like the whole resort, uh, I mean, I'll go into a little bit, but you can watch the video for the full deep dive. Um, the, the resort was actually built on where they found a shark finning camp like sharks were being decimated out there. The whole area was just being ripped to shreds from illegal fishing. And it's now a huge marine protected area. 
and it's all thanks to sustainable and regenerative travel. So in terms of using regenerative travel as a next step to the post-COVID travel era, we, we, need to be, we need to be thinking about where are we going and how are we putting more into this place than we're taking out. And that will align with what we were talking about before with community, culture, and environment, um, because you want to make sure that you're empowering communities and cultures uh, through, through working with them in, in responsible and regenerative ways. Uh, and then also with the environment by making sure your funds are going into protecting that place um, and really, really doing your research and making sure that the places that you're visiting and the businesses that you're supporting have these ethics and values and you're not just padding the pockets of investors out of New York. Incredible. That is a good breakdown of that topic. And I love this example um, in Indonesia what a what a thing to stumble upon um, and be able to repair. I, I also think it, you know, it just in in sort of uh, dark days, it's great to remember these stories of places that can be turned around. Yeah, exactly. And and I mean, I could I could go into a whole bunch of more examples. There's more on my website for sure, um, and uh, it's. Yeah, it's like I said, it's it's putting more into the places than you're taking out of it, uh, and I think that is where tomorrow's air comes in as well with what you guys do. Where you know it's all collective, collective uh, fight against what we need, what we know is right. So fight with no, what we know is right. <laughs> hmm. I want. We had another um, short. It might have been an email exchange. You are also working with destinations to market and prepare for LGTBQ travelers. Do you want to say a little bit about that and how I think when we think about the future of travel, it's, you know, more sort of connected experiences with local people. It's more comprehension of the environmental impacts and it's sort of broader audiences also that are finding a, um, a distinctive sort of market and product. Yeah. So I'm working, uh, I'm working with the, uh, Canadian lesbian gay, uh, chamber of commerce, uh, which is based out of, uh, Ontario. And we're, I'm doing market ready workshops with different destinations in Western Canada. So we're basically working with these destinations to help them become more market ready uh, to to welcome the LGBTQ traveler, um, which makes up for I think thirty billion tra- dollars uh, yearly of travel expenditure. So are LGBTQ um, travelers thinking about say what the, what's top of mind for LGBTQ? I'm hoping that climate action is somewhere in there, but it might not be. It, it is. It is. I would say it is. And I would say it is because this demographic tends to be quite well educated as well. And I think climate action comes down to education a lot. So uh, mm-hmm. it is definitely a focus. Uh, and so, yeah, we're just working with different regions to help them prepare and just be uh, more more market ready. And it's, it's things to small as like, OK, well, you don't have any LGBT uh, imagery on your website. So if you just kind of, you know, added some images here and there, that would show that, you know, you we know you we know you're 
accepting mm-hmm. and uh, and your values are in the right place for this market because you're participating in these workshops and this is how you will be able to help identify yourself more with that uh with this segment um mm-hmm. so yeah it's, it's a two-hour course uh and it's free to sign up as well so we're able to um work with different destinations across uh they're across canada i'm just helping out with the uh western canada one so they're all virtually right now obviously but um they used to be and will be once again one day in more in person and so we'd be doing workshops as a group which are a little bit more hands-on but mm-hmm. yeah where did you grow up you what part of canada did you grow up in i grew up in uh, just south of calgary in alberta and so i think of calgary as like a rodeo <laughs> yeah town and alberta is this sort of great plains what was your childhood like what are your parents up to what do they think of all this that you've gotten into now they're very very supportive um my parents have been very supportive in uh financially and and everything um they well as i i mean six months after i graduated high school i left for what was supposed to be a four-month trip and i never came home for a year and a half uh and i wanted to you know they knew i wanted to go and travel and spread my wings so they were very supportive of that um, but I was very lucky growing up. I got to go to a family cottage in BC, in British Columbia, and I was always kind of outdoors and stuff. So, uh, and now my parents are uh, retired in, in British Columbia too. So it's, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was a good childhood. Um, Alberta, I was fortunate enough to work for three years of my career in, in the Rockies and Banff, um, which is uh, definitely one of the most beautiful parts of the province. You get out to the Rocky Mountains there. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it had everything that I was needing at the time. Um, and I studied on Vancouver Island, so I got a taste of the West Coast. Uh, and then so once I was able to kind of move to a, a bit of a bigger, bigger city uh, and uh, build my business, I knew that Banff was probably not the place to do that in because it's, it's quite small. little. It's a great little, it's a great spot. And it, and it definitely provided me what I needed to spread my wings in my career, but uh, I needed to go to the big city, which is Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> What's your advice um, as you, you know, you work with some of the coolest destinations who have the, the best kind of people, planet, place at the heart. What's your advice to travelers coming out of, or even as we muddle through coronavirus if you want to take a road trip, how, what's your advice? How do we search? Where do we find good ideas and how do we travel safely in this moment? Uh, are you talking about a road trip like through BC? Well, or anywhere or North America, or, I mean, I'm here in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I'm thinking, Hmm, maybe we could drive up to Canada. Maybe we should poke around, but what's, uh, what's a good place to figure out some of these communities and where to go and make a plan? Does your website help with that? Does Eco Escape Travel? Is that a resource for that kind of thing? Uh, my website, not so much, but the clients I work with on those websites, for sure. So one of my other clients is an organization called Land of Hidden Waters, and it's a consortium uh, made up of four different destinations in British Columbia. Uh, and so if you go to landofhiddenwaters.com, you'll find a bunch of our content and where, and trip planning ideas. 
Um, if you go to landwithoutlimits.com, you'll find the Caribou Chilcotin Coast uh, resources and stories. And there's a really awesome interactive map there you can use to um, plan your holiday with, as well as if you go to goldrushtrail.com, that's another uh, online platform that I work with through the Caribou Chilcotin Coast. And again, lots of, there's a lot of interactive maps and uh, blogs to work with. Um, and yeah, I, like honestly, it it's not top of mind as a consumer to look at a tourism brand's website to, for trip planning. It's mm-hmm. it it doesn't you know as someone who works in the industry, I'm like oh I just that's just where I go first because I know there's been a lot of time and effort and money put into those websites to help people plan their trips. Um, but anytime you're planning your vacation, I would I would stress going to the tourism organization's website to do some trip planning because it's it's for, it's as far as I know, for the most part, anyway, in Canada, anyways, they're nonprofit organizations that are looking out for the interests of the traveler. So they're they're looking out to they're looking to drive leads and and business to their stakeholders. Um, but they're they're essentially connecting travelers with those businesses, um, and they're nonprofit organizations doing this. So you're 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 in the traveler is in the best interest. It's not uh, it's not a money game or anything, and it's. I mean, you can find that information with online travel agencies too, um, sometimes in TripAdvisor and whatnot. But uh, you're gonna find you're gonna find a lot of good resources, especially in Canada, uh, if you just look at the what we call DMO, Destination Marketing Organization websites. These things are hard to find, though. I mean, like I just you know GoldRushTrail.ca, and I clicked on this, and it's great. How much terrific information? Begin your journey. All these wonderful images, but I know that it, it is not the intuitive first place for people to poke around. I guess we have to promote our podcast a lot so people can yeah. find some of these things. We do Google ads and we do social media marketing and we, you know, we do, we do a ton of different mm-hmm. digital advertising and whatnot too. So we do try and find, capture those travelers um, when they're looking for that through different advertising uh, avenues. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's something that once you, once you figure out for your travels, you'll, you'll soon think always to go back to those types of websites, even like the visit Costa Rica website, like they have so much information that I found, um, just for different areas we're looking at going to while here. Um, Oh, we got to talk about that before we, I'm, I, we do kind of have to wrap, but I want to ask about Costa Rica. So you're, I mean, you're (laughs) living the, um. You're doing the thing, like the future of travel, where people are digital nomads and go and stay longer and have a deeper experience. You're sort of in the midst of that at the moment. Yeah, um, super lucky. I mean, so I was very lucky in the past of my work in the last kind of like year or two, um, where my work started having me travel a lot, which is awesome. And I got to go to these different destinations to do photography and writing and, and different media trips to do uh, sustainable travel journalism and whatnot. But obviously that is all on pause now. Um, so after doing a lot of careful research, my partner and I determined that coming to Costa Rica to work remotely was uh, not only realistic, but it was affordable and it was safe and it kind of seemed smart. So we, uh, after Costa Rica uh, opened and then they also made it so that you uh, don't need a negative test to get in the country anymore, but you have to have these different insurance policies that they check at the border, at the, at the you know, when you get in the country. 
Um, so, because for Canadians, especially for British Columbians, uh, but Canadians in general, it's really hard to find this negative test result that you need to go to these different destinations because our healthcare is um, to the government, as you probably know. So like finding private healthcare clinics to go get these like negative tests to go travel is not a priority. Uh, and it's pretty hard to find. So it was like, oh, okay, so if we want to go to Costa Rica, we have to do the stopover in like San Francisco and then go get a test result. And then like, it was, it was going to be a, quite a headache. But then Costa Rica made it so you don't need tests anymore. So then we booked our flights uh, and we came here and we have a house for a month and a half. Uh, she got a pretty good deal on for a long-term rental. Um, and we're working remotely from here. And then, yeah, like, like I said, you know, a few places, longer stays. We do little weekend sustainable staycations, I call them. And we do little weekend trips here and there um, to different places. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's not much different. Just doing what I do at home, but from here. <laughs> that is rad. Um, I love that. I do hope this is kind of the future of travel where more people can can take long breaks like that. Um, so Johnny, before we wrap up, I want to talk about music and what you listen to now and what you listen to as a young man in Alberta. We, I remember working on a um, conference and researching a lot of Canadian bands and there's some good music up there. What, where are your musical tastes these days? I well, I wish you didn't answer ask me that because I'm super boring. Uh, I I just like just in Spotify playlists of uh, like alt rock, um, some uh, house music, and whatever's in my Discover Weekly. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's horrible. Uh, but yeah, so I'm not like a, I'm not crazy. Uh, not a crazy good resource for music but i do have a play public playlist called johnny fam jams which everyone seems to love so if you look oh, up johnny what is it fam, called johnny's fam jams <laughs> <laughs> all right i'm gonna find it see um, if we can yeah i used to do um i used to guide media trips for travel alberta for one of my contracts and they call it familiarization tour or fam and so everyone was loving my music and so i made like a public playlist called johnny's fam jams and it's just lived on <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Johnny, I'm so happy um, to get to know you better and we'll be following more of your writing. And thank you so much for the education on, I just made a whole list of um, more places I want to go in Canada now. And that's it. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and your audience today. 